Hello, this is Linda Drake, and you are dialed into the Arizona Technology Council Tech Focus Member Spotlight Podcast. We welcome you to the podcast where we highlight the thought leaders and entrepreneurs who are growing Arizona's promise as a world-class technology business hub. Each of our episodes features an innovative entrepreneur, transformative leaders, and technology titans. These are people who are reshaping the state's evolving tech ecosystem as we speak. All of us at the Arizona Technology Council and at Michael Beach Coaching and Consulting are excited to be able to bring you this podcast every month. We love bringing you closer to the current information about what's happening in the technology sector right here in the great state of Arizona. I am Linda Drake. I'm a certified executive coaching consultant with Michael Beach Coaching and Consulting. I am absolutely delighted today to have as our next guest, Anne Dougherty. She is the co-founder and co-owner of Illum, a research consultancy serving the clean energy industry. Illum Advising is a wholly woman-owned certified consultancy specializing in innovative research, data analytics, and evaluation services with a focus on equity in their processes, services, and deliverables. Illum operates as a mission and values-driven company to elevate the voices and experiences of energy users in the clean energy transformation. How innovative. Anne is a skilled researcher and a customer experience design consultant who specializes in the human dimensions of energy technologies and resource management. Anne has presented on expert panels for governing bodies, including the US Department of Energy, the California Public Utilities Commission, and she's been a keynote speaker at the American Academy of Arts and Sciences. And I would also like to point out that Anne is a valued member of the board of directors of the Arizona Technology Company. So interested in the uniqueness that you bring to the energy field. And, you know, that's really what I want to explore today. Sure. Sure. I'm happy to happy to talk about it. And I'm so thrilled to be here, both in support of the council and also to share what we do at Illum, because obviously it's very close to my heart and our mission and, and what we're trying to achieve in our industry. Absolutely. So congratulations. I understand you just turned 10 years old. We did. We did. Officially 10 years old, which, you know, I, as you know, as a business owner and entrepreneur yourself, when we hit five years, we brushed the sweat off our brow and said, you know, okay, we've, we've made that first milestone, but 10 feels like a properly sort of aged company in the best possible way. So we're very excited to, yeah, to just, get this milestone. Just great. So tell me more about Alum's original story. 
Sure. So I founded Illum with my business partner, Sarah Konzemius. She's very much my partner in crime in all things. And we launched Illum with the vision of really centering the dreams and aspirations of people and end users is the sort of the technical term we use in energy in thinking about the clean energy transformation. And for folks who are really steeped in, say, the customer experience, that may seem like a very obvious statement. But if we take a step back and think about the energy industry and what the energy industry is tasked with, um, we spent a great deal of time focused on this kind of miraculous machine that we've built, which is the electric grid and maintaining and building it out in such a way that we maintain critical infrastructure and work to meet carbon mitigation goals and reliability goals. And so often in doing that, our focus tends to get very myopic and centered on the technology absent who we're building the technology for. And the mission of Illum was to say, in order for this clean energy transition to be successful, it needs to meet the needs of our communities, of our families, of our businesses, both small and large, and do so in a way that enhances our lives, not just maintains it, but builds upon them and creates a better world for us all to live in. And that sounds very idealistic, but we wanted to make sure that all of this innovation was truly in service of the societies that we're looking to build. And that was the the impetus, the sort of core value of Illum. And then there were secondary values that we wanted to bring forward, which we can talk about more or less, depending on where the conversation goes, like really focusing on problem solving, thinking about problems from multiple vantage points. We have a interdisciplinary team of data scientists, ethnographers, market researchers, engineers, cognitive scientists, who all come together to tackle these very large policy and program challenges that we have in front of us. And we wanted to make sure that we were solving for problems using the right competencies for the problem versus, you know, emphasizing one approach over another, which different firms try to do. So we we really aim to be interdisciplinary and inclusive in that way, and also to create a great environment to work in. Absolutely. And so how has the company evolved since your launch? Yeah, well, it goes without saying that, you know, as a founder company, you know, one of the biggest changes has been our growth. Uh, certainly, Sarah and I started the company completely bootstrapping it, and we still have self-funded the growth of the company to date with just the two of us. And we started with an annual revenue of probably about 100,000 our first year and are now looking at about 18 million next year in terms of our, our top line revenue, which is very exciting to be 10 years in and there. I would say the diversity and the um, you know, the sort of quality and dynamism of our team is one of the greatest achievements that we have. Our team is thoughtful, compassionate, incredibly incisive when it comes to tackling problems and in a way that I don't think we could have imagined. And as employers, we're always humbled by who chooses to work alongside us, right? Who who raises their hand to be a part of our company and, and for us to be a part of their career. And importantly, you know, as we've grown, we've really diversified how we deliver. So there, you know, when I think about Illum and, and the way that we deliver to our clients in terms of strategy and, and research, there really are four areas or domains that we focus on. One is 
what we call our human dimensions, where it really is very much like the origin of the company, thinking about the human needs, cultural, social, relational, political of end users and consumers and how we meet those needs through technologies. We also focus on emerging technologies and emerging tech development and technology transfer. And we look at how we create the right technology to serve these very large, again, societal challenges we're facing, like greenhouse gas reduction, and how we get those technologies into the market in a way that is, again, beneficial to end users, that it enhances our lives as well as solves our technical problems. We have an equity focus that has been central to what we do. When you're dealing with global challenges like climate change or the resiliency of the electric grid, you need all hands. It is an all hands project. But more than that, more than needing all hands to solve these problems, we need as an organization and as um, folks who fund this work with public dollars to ensure that everyone benefits from these investments as well, that everyone's home benefits, that everyone's community benefits, and equity is central to that. And then the last area that we focus on and has grown significantly with us is our evaluation area. So are we seeing the impacts that we intend to see or we hope to see from these technologies, from these programs? And the beauty of these four areas is that they are always in conversation with each other. No one area is sort of operating independently of the next, which again speaks back to that mission. But without our growth and without this incredible team, we wouldn't have been able to build out these practice areas and to focus so intently on each. And that's been a a real gift. And we have now served, I would say, well over 50 different energy companies since our launch. We operate in 15 different states and have strong incumbency in many of them in the areas in which we're serving our clients. And so we're just always humbled and thrilled to be here. And that is incredible. Incredible development. I mean, serving in 15 states uh, with your staff is, first of all, uh, it's a privilege, but the impact you're making has got to be immense. What I'm getting from your success, it's that interdisciplinary team that has really developed these and worked cohesively with the proper intents. I congratulate you. I appreciate that. Tremendous success. That was a very lovely way of framing that. I'm going to borrow it if you don't mind, Linda. (laughs) Don't mind. Can you provide some examples of the projects that exemplify Illum's technology philosophy? Yeah, well, there are a couple different ways that we look at it. Of course, as I've mentioned, we have these four areas. I'll share two projects that I think are very interesting, both touch on tech, but in different capacities. One of which my colleague, Jess Rivas, will be highlighting in our next webinar that will be released, I believe, on December 6th. This particular project is really focused on identifying new and emerging technologies to support energy management and demand management for one of our large utility clients. And what we are doing for this client has is developing an entire framework for them to identify, vet, and um, choose to incubate or deliver to market any number of solutions or technologies in support of their goals. And their goals are primarily focused on greenhouse gas mitigation, electrification of the electric grid, and also equity-related goals as well. And in developing these criteria, we work with them to translate their regional policy goals 
and their organizational goals into standards that that our organization sets and criteria that we set for vetting any number of emerging technologies that may be brought to them. And through that process, you know, we have set up very clear stage gates to advance various technologies against these goals based on whether or not we believe them to be successful. But what is unique to Illum, um, and again, my colleague will speak to this, is that we value the technology and the functionality and the utility of the technology equally with the value of the technology in the marketplace. Because the reality is, is that if a technology can't be taken to market, if it's not adopted, it's not viable. And we see a lot of tech development really focused on the utility of the technology. Does it do what we want it to do? Can it achieve a technological outcome? And in our case, that would be to, let's just use an example of um, a heat pump, for example. Can it deliver heating and cooling more efficiently using electricity than other end uses? Uh, but what we often fail to consider when we develop technologies is whether or not that technology provides additional value to a consumer or to the folks that we're looking to have adopt this. And so we could look at that technology in isolation and whether or not it works well, but we often find that very few people pay attention to the human side of that equation. And then we also look at the human side in terms of how it's being operated and the ways in which not only whether or not people have adopted it, but whether or not they're interacting with it the way that we hope that they would interact with it. And if that those kinds of interactions are resulting in the energy savings or the climate impacts that we're hoping to achieve. And we do that on small scales and we do that on, on very large scales, like looking at hundreds of thousands of people engaging with technologies. And we see ourselves as very end-to-end -end in that capacity. And we recognize and really take seriously the, the institutional and regulatory and stakeholder challenges that our clients face in trying to deliver those technologies to market. And we help them through that entire process. And, you know, we wouldn't be able to do that if we didn't have the diversity in the team that we have in the first mm -hmm. place. And that's, that's important to us because we want to rise to the technological challenges of the moment, beneficial electrification being a huge one right now. And without that degree of attention to our clients' needs, we would never be able to solve that problem. The other project example that I would highlight is work that we're doing in New York State that's very public, and you could look this up if you're interested. But New York State set very ambitious climate goals, and those goals set forth a set of investments, a very large investment in the order of billions of dollars that the state was going to make in new and emerging energy technologies and programs. And they mandated that 40% of those technologies, the benefits of those technologies and those investments be uh, received by what they defined as disadvantaged communities or communities that are typically left out of early tech adoption or, or tech in general, honestly, when it comes to um, our investments. And our primary role has been to help them translate the state of New York, translate this very large and ambitious policy mandate into definable and measurable outcomes that they could measure and use to quantify the impact of their investments on disadvantaged communities and also more globally. And so that includes doing things like defining what a benefit is, defining what a disadvantaged community is, figuring out how you measure that on all of these different dimensions, and then setting up frameworks to support the state in realizing these sort of goals. So that's an example. Now that's sort of tech adjacent, but when we're looking at these 
very aggressive investments that are taking place at the federal level and at the state level in the clean energy sector, many of which that have equity goals, thinking about how to really translate those goals into quantifiable outcomes that we can measure for communities is a very challenging but important undertaking and and can really determine what technology succeeds or does not succeed in the market. Understood. And the image I keep getting is that you're looking at potentials and issues with multiple lenses. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you're seeing a different viewpoint, possibly with each, and then combining that for the best possible result. Yeah, absolutely. So, I think a great way of describing it. You're so yeah. good at this. I you should yeah. be on our marketing team. <laughs> So what insights can our podcast listeners gain from your perspective on technology's role in the energy industry? Yeah, well, this is something that I love talking about with people because we, as I said, have a very particular orientation, but we are often all running against the same challenges in terms of like building new and better tech to support the communities or the organizations that we love. And one of the things that I always suggest or talk to entrepreneurs about, particularly if they're in the sort of tech dev space, is to really understand the human value and utility of what they're developing. We often tend to focus again on the utility of what we're creating, like does it or does it not achieve an outcome we've decided is desirable as either an inventor or an investor, but we often fail to do the due diligence to understand what value it has for the the intended folks we're delivering it to. And we see a, a great number of technologies kind of fall down in that process. The other piece is not every tech is a sure win in the marketplace. And there's so much market development and conditioning and priming that has to go into making any number of technologies desirable in the market. And often we develop technologies and invest in technologies absent that perspective. And so thinking about your end game in the development of your technology or in your innovation is a really critical step to making sure that that technology is successful. And you see that kind of come forward in the philosophies of like some of the tech giants like Steve Jobs, for example. But I think we often get so enamored with what we can create that we fail to recognize when we are not looking around the corner or asking the right questions of different people to understand if what we're developing has value and is viable across a very diverse cross-section of the population. And so that would be my number one piece of advice is to really think through the end game. The other piece I would say is invite different opinions into the room, you know, different vantage points into the room. Uh, We know intellectually that we all get better when you have a, a degree of diversity of thought in a room with you. And similarly, we see this with technology too. And you see this in conversations with things like AI, for example, that we need different sets of eyes or different types of questions in order to understand what the opportunities are with the technology, what the risks are with the technologies, and how to mitigate those risks effectively. And operating in isolation can be really detrimental. And I think a lot of teams tend to function that way, either intentionally because they're concerned about IP or any number of real business concerns, 
or simply because we all tend to surround ourselves with people just like us. And it's very convenient to keep moving forward without having that, those sort of nagging voices telling you that, you know, hey, there's this thing you really need to look at, or have you considered this? And so inviting that proactively, both in your process and in your general way of operating as an organization can be incredibly beneficial to developing viable technologies. Understood. And I'm sure somewhere along the way, you had some unforeseen barriers that you've encountered, especially when you're introducing new technologies or innovating against old ones. What were some of those barriers? I'll give you a really simple example, and this kind of speaks to having multiple eyes on a project. We did a very in-depth research study at one point, this is kind of earlier days in the company, where we were looking at in-home energy use and all the different little devices that folks use that sort of power their lives, <laughs> for lack of a better term. And there's an, there was a technology that was introduced to the marketplace that I'm sure you're familiar with, which is called smart power strips. And these power strips were the kind of thing that you could turn on and off so that, you know, this your devices weren't drawing power when you weren't actively using them. But they often required that you would bend down and turn the thing on and off or get kind of behind your computer screen to turn the thing on and off. And they were really effective in terms of managing the load of all of these different appliances that were plugged in. But practically speaking, users hated them. And so we went into a home and we were talking to a guy and he just looked at us and he said, do you really expect me to bend over and like turn this thing off? <laughs> like, And it seems really lazy when you put it that way. But when you think about the habits we have or don't have related to operating our devices, of course, someone isn't going to every time they turn off their television, then take the added step to then get behind their console and turn this thing off. New habits are really difficult to develop. And that's an incredible inconvenience in the space of someone's lives. But since learning these things, the technology evolved to develop sensors so you could tell if someone was in the room or not, or to build on top of an existing habit, which was to sort of some of some manufacturers created light switches, like almost like a little light switch that you could put right next to your light so that when you left the room, you were turning everything off because we already had that habit, that, that habit's ingrained in us, well, most of us. And so you were building on that. And that's a really simple technology. It's not a, like a terribly advanced one in the scheme of um, what we see, but it's a really great example of a sort of a failure to just get into a space with the person who's looking to use the thing you have and really understanding what they're willing to do and what they're not. And then identifying those sort of micro innovations to make it meaningful in their lives in terms of stacking a new habit on an existing habit or an existing behavior. You know, thinking about the uses of this technology actually in the home and in considering how people will be interacting with it and taking the time to observe people doing that, doing just that in the household, you come to recognize the importance of how technology is integrated into a space. And while it's a very simple example of ways in which technology is or is not adopted, it, it is meaningful in the sense that these technologies were developed specifically to draw down power use in support of the electric grid. Now, if people are unwilling fundamentally to bend down and turn the thing on and off, of course, it's not meeting its end goal, right? The object itself works, but it doesn't work for people. 
So that's a clear example of sort of the importance of really surrounding your work with thoughtful perspectives and, and really getting in there and learning about your tech in spaces that they're going to be used. So I heard you talk about the specific areas that people are involved in that you have hired to bring aboard from your team. Tell me a little bit more about your special workforce. Oh, about our team? Well, I was, like I said, very enamored all the time with them. We have just such a cool, diverse set of, of folks who are really invested and passionate about what we're doing as an organization. I'll just give you examples of, of individuals who, who work with us, and I'll, I'll kind of talk through some of our directors and our leadership team. We have one woman who works with us who is a cognitive scientist, and she works a lot on our marketing and our communications and messaging and behavior change but is always bringing the lens of the best thinking or the latest thinking in, in cognitive science and how you would then apply that to communicating with the public and what works and what doesn't work and all of these sort of like micro adjustments that you make in communications to ensure that your message is getting across and that people are adopting the behaviors you want them to adopt. To have data scientists who, who work with us, who spend a great deal of time working on developing very large models and machine learning models and other uh, sort of predictive models to support impact analyses across the energy sector, be it, you know, again, looking at various technologies and their impact in aggregate across multiple households or other team members who are, are building scientists who can look at sort of the modeling of the individual home and how that's performing. And when you start to get like, again, these minds together, it creates a really interesting conversations and builds interesting perspective. But I think most importantly, they've all elected to work together and to work with us as an organization because they're invested in the perspectives and values of others as well, right? They're there to learn as well. And so we have the opportunity to grow with each other. And I think we do so in a really interesting way. And it's unusual for a company of our size. We have about 40 folks that work with us to have that level of diversity of skill sets, and then to be able to align across a common set of missions and objectives and sets of projects. And so any number of projects you work on, you'll have a completely different team that you're working with, which is a really exciting thing for many people in our space. Yeah. yeah. So I'm Seeing your company as coming together with creative innovation based upon the diversity in the workforce, meaning their specializations, mm -hmm. and the opportunity to learn and grow from each other. Yeah. And that feels like the energy of the company that keeps it a driving force in the marketplace. Yeah, absolutely. And our, you know, and I will also say our team's attention to service is second to none because I think of the pride we take in our work and the enthusiasm with which they, our team approaches the work, right? And that translates to our clients in very real ways. We don't have a single person in our company who's just showing up and punching the clock. People are excited and it causes its own different set of challenges for us as leaders, but they want to be here and they want to be doing it because it's, again, the work is mission-driven and they're deeply passionate about it. That really shows up in the care and attention that's being given to the folks we serve. And you come from a very significant entrepreneurial background, 
having developed this cadre of people, what advice would you give to companies looking to develop smarter technologies and programs? I would say keep an open mind and don't lose your creativity. Look at the opportunity that any one person might bring to your organization, the talents and the perspectives that they're going to be able to contribute and think creatively about how you can integrate them and and utilize that expertise. And as it relates to really thinking about what you're delivering yourself, thinking through how to improve that by bringing in different points of view and really encouraging diversity in the organization, both in terms of diversity of thought and diversity in lived experiences, because those contribute to more meaningful outcomes. And, you know, that's been proven time and time again in in multiple literatures, but it also creates a environment where I think people remain inspired and excited to work together because they're learning from each other. And that spirit of learning, that curiosity is what fuels innovation, is what drives organizations forward. I completely agree. And I really want to thank you for the quality of your time today and the insights that you've shared with our listeners. And congratulations on your company's 10 years of success. Thank you. Delighted for you and your team. I want to encourage our listeners to go to Alum's website, alumadvising.com. There are so very many articles on energy and energy resources there that are extremely well-written and that we can all learn from. So, Anne, thank you for your time today. And, you know, on behalf of all of us that put together this podcast, we wish you every continued success. Well, thank you, Linda. This has been a joy. I wish we had hours to talk, but maybe we can find time for that too some other time. We'll find some time. Thank you. Thank you. Please don't miss the next episode of the AZ Tech Council's Virtual Tech Speaker Podcast Series, where Alum's very own Jess Rivas talks about why good ideas fail and holistic considerations for creating successful R&D efforts. That podcast is this Wednesday, December 6th at 9 a.m. Mountain on www.aztechcouncil.org slash tech-events. We look forward to having you there. I want to thank our special guests for taking the time for this interview today. We are excited that our next show will feature another fantastic Arizona Technology Council executive whose business is going on right here within the great state of Arizona. Thank you to our listeners for joining us today. And please, if you have any great suggestions for a future episode guest, or perhaps if you want to become a featured guest yourself, please contact the Arizona Technology Council's website and look for the Arizona Technology Council Tech Focus Member Spotlight Podcast. We look forward to spending time on our next episode with you together. And until then, remember, invest in innovation, invest in your team, and continue to invest in the technology sector right here in the great state of Arizona. See all of you next time.